Hey, would you take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to talk to you about something that uh, <clears throat> has been kind of just uh, rumbling around in my heart for a season. And uh, I'll probably do a couple of topical, just uh, off-series messages this week and possibly next. And I'm probably going to talk to you about a couple of uh, things about serving and how God uses us to serve. And then I think I'm going to spend a few weeks talking about money. And uh, we haven't done that for a few years, so I'm excited to be able to help you with that. And uh, then we're going to probably get into the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to spend probably almost a year walking with Jesus. In between, we'll do some different uh, studies that are part of, or they're outside of the the Gospel story. Um, But uh, we're going to kind of get some time in there. I just want us to kind of come back to the simplicity of walking with Jesus again. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The other night, I was having a little heart-to-heart with my bride about some things. And just uh, yeah, just intimate enough that I won't go into all of it with you. But uh, I looked at her and I said, Honey, would, would you settle for 95% fidelity from me? I mean, see, I mean... I mean, it's just, just, just 5%. I mean, I'll, I'll give you 95% fidelity. And, well, it didn't go over real well. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Just, you, just, just ask your spouse right now. Honey, would you, would you settle for 95% fidelity? Go ahead, ask him. See what they do. We got some, we got some paramedics here. Husbands, would you settle for that from your wife? Wives, would you settle for that from your husband? And I know every one of you are looking at each other and going, this guy's just crazy. What's he talking about? Absolutely not. Well, the truth is I didn't have that conversation with my wife because I know better. (laughs) I know exactly what she would say, not that that would even be one of my thoughts. But we understand that. But just like our spouse will not settle for 95% fidelity, commitment, and devotion, I think God won't settle for it either. I think that if God, if, if Christ was sitting at this table with us right now, he would say, you know what I want as much as anything out of your life? I want 100% devotion. One of my favorite scriptures that I had to memorize in the preacher factory in Bible college was 2 Corinthians 16.9. It says this, for the eyes of the Lord move throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely his. And I think, Lord, that's just a great, great prayer. That my heart would be simply completely yours. Now imagine that's what God is doing. He's scanning the horizon for what? He's literally looking for people, you and me and the church, whose hearts are completely and fully his, devoted to him. So I suppose the question is, what what would God see today in your heart? If he could pull out an x-ray, a spiritual scan, what would he see with your heart? What would be the percentage or the depth of devotion? Our Creekside vision is very clear. One of the statements at the end is, is that we want to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The full, de- the, the full devotion piece is really critical. I mean, when we put that, that, that vision statement together, we said that's what we want because we understand that fully devoted Christ followers will make a difference in their homes in their families, 
in the church, in the community, and ultimately in the world. That's an important deal. What did Jesus say was the most important thing in life as he was at one point challenged and asked, well, what's the, what's the big deal? He said, well, it's really simple. It's two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body. Love yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all you've got. Give him your best. Give him the fullness of who you are. And that's what we want to just talk about this morning is to remind us because vision leaks. Sometimes our relationship with our spouse or our children can begin to leak and move and cause distance. And I think the same thing, loved ones, happens with Jesus as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of interrupt the apostle Paul here in chapter 7 and step in. He's really talking in this whole chapter, chapter 7, about marriage. But... <clears throat> He talks about devotion to marriage, and in verse 32, he says this, I want you to be without concerns. But how many of you would like to be there? Well, he gives you the way to do it. Now, please, listen, don't take this uh, literally out of its context, okay? Because he says this, well, an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but a married man is, an unmarried man is concerned. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. (laughs) And he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But, But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper. And so that you may be, underscore this word, devoted to the Lord without distraction. So in this passage, the context of it, friends, is Paul discusses several issues relating to marriage before and after and in this point here. He's really saying that he believes And he says earlier, this isn't a commandment of the Lord, but this is what I believe, that unmarried people are better off staying single. And now all you single people are going, yeah, right, it's easy for you all to say. But why does he say that? Well, one, because single people are going to be less distracted with a married person. I mean, a married woman has to take care of her husband, and a married man has to take care of his wife. And his interests become divided, which they should be if you're married. If you're married, and you've got to take care of your spouse, and you should be doing the best that you can. That should be one of the ultimate goals in your life. But he says a single person can be devoted to the Lord in this undivided fashion. And Paul in this section uses two different terms for full devotion and holiness, and we'll be looking at those in just a minute. But let me just add a sidebar here real quick. Let me give a word of encouragement for those who are unmarried. Aim in your single state, aim for full devotion to Jesus Christ. If If you're a woman, a female, let him become the man of your life. And I am convinced, loved ones, that he will be, he'll do exactly what he did for Adam or what he did for Eve. He fashioned a spouse for them and he brought them together without them ever having to work at it, didn't he? But you focus on Jesus. Let him be the central figure and person of your life and he'll ultimately provide for you, I believe. 
Don't waste your, your single years so focused on marriage, trying to find Mr. Right or Miss Princess that you miss what God has for you in the present. Now, and I say this all the time because I've talked to singles on a Sunday morning for uh, a number of just talks for them. Don't, and I always say this because you know, I, I deal with a number of singles and we have a lot of wonderful singles in our church. I tell them, listen, don't, don't play down wanting to get married. If you want to get married, admit it. Tell everybody. Might help you find somebody. But, but don't, don't play it down. There's nothing wrong with the desire to get married. I think so many singles feel like, oh boy, I can't say that. Otherwise, woo, no, that's all right. But focus on Jesus Christ and allow him to bring somebody to you. And now, lest all of you married people think that only singles can be fully devoted to the Lord, in this chapter, Paul indicates that marriage is, is really the most common thing for most adults. They're going to live in that state. It takes a special gift to live or uh, out a gift and calling of celibacy and also to be contented as single. But hear this, the underlying principle throughout this whole passage is the call that we all aim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We see this in other passages. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, interestingly enough, Paul uses the marriage as kind of a metaphor or an example as well. He writes to the church of Corinth in his second letter, and he says, I wish, uh, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do not put up with me, for I am ze- jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He's trying to bring some correction to their life and trying to bring them into this focus on Jesus. And he says, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband... And he's kind of trying to build this close and intimate relationship with them. And he's using that as an example. He says this, I want you to, be, uh, I want you to present a pure virgin to Christ, you, your wife, your church. But then he says this, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your minds may be corrupted from a complete and pure devotion to Jesus. Paul, again, is challenging them, and he's saying, what I want for you, church, is I want there to be this pure devotion to the person that we love. And he says, we have pledged to Jesus just as a bride is pledged to her groom. And we're to give to Jesus exactly what we would give to our spouse, which is a pure devotion, a sincere devotion. Sincere in the original language, it's translated, and it really has the meaning of a singleness of mind and heart and purpose as opposed to being double. So a sincere devotion means, man, there is a one focus, a single-minded devotion, rather than any kind of division in your mind, heart, soul, or spirit for Jesus Christ. The word pure is hagnotes, which which comes from the root word hagios, which means holy. It's a pure devotion. It's a holy devotion. Paul says this is so critical, so critical because this is what happens. Loved ones, I see it all the time. I see it in my own life once in a while. That all of a sudden, you've got this hissing serpent who comes in to bring temptation to your life, to your heart. And you you stand against it, and all of a sudden, you just kind of, Kind of, kind of subtly give in and move away from this pure and wonderful devotion. And unfortunately, it just starts. It's a little bit at a time. And how many people do we see that, ah, you know, a compromise here, a little bit there. And pretty soon, man, they're just falling 
away. It's subtle. But it comes soon. And Paul says, I want there to be this pure, unadulterated, single-minded devotion to the one who loves you. So I want you to be challenged. I want you to think of, I want you to aim for hagios. Well, what's hagios? Is that like some kind of sheep pudding or something? No, it's, it's the Greek word that means holy. 1 Corinthians 7.34, when Paul says here to aim to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, the word devoted is hagios, holy. He says, and we just noted in 2 Corinthians 11.3, this holy devotion. To aim for full devotion is to be holy. Now, what does holy mean? You hear it all the time in the church. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Too many church people think it's, it's this, that you walk around and you look like you've been sucking on lemons 24-7. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm, I'm holy. No. Or we get out our list of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't go here, do this, don't do, do this. Do, you know, we get all these lists that are not biblical. No, it's not that at all. I told you, know, I tell this story a lot, but it's one of my favorites about some lady who wanted me to, you know, we've got great looking ladies at Creekside. So it was, this was a number of years ago in the summer and uh, what, a gal comes in and, uh, and she's pretty smoking hot and, um, and I'm sorry, but she, the way she dressed and the way she looked, you just wouldn't miss her. And one of the gals comes up, one of the older, older gals in our church comes up and goes, Pastor, what are you going to, did, did you see that gal? I go, I couldn't miss her. <laughs> and she goes, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. What do you want me to do? We'll go talk to her. Well, I'll get around to that. What do we talk to her about? Well, tell her her skirt's too high. I said, okay, I'll do that under a couple of conditions. Number one, you go get a ruler and you go with me. (laughs) And number two, from then on, during the summer when it's hot weather and anybody could come in in too short a skirt, what I'd like for you to do is to stand at the door and do measurements for me because, boy, I sure don't want to. And she just, well, oh, Pastor, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I, kinda, I didn't hear from her again about short skirts. But you see, those are the kinds of things that people, you know, uh, they, they begin to put their lists together, you know, the do's and the don'ts. And that's not what holiness is about, loved ones. See, to aim for pure devotion, to grow in being holy practically, what it really means is, listen, you have been made holy holy before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That is your position. I love that. It is not what you do or don't do other than coming to Jesus Christ because once you have entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You are holy. Well, what does holy mean? You want the, you want the, you want the simple, under, it means to be set Apart. It means to be set apart from these things over here that will hurt you and set apart to the one who loves you and has died for you and given his best to you. It means to be set apart for a purpose. How many of you save money for a vacation? Raise your hand. Well, not very many of you. 
You try, yeah, okay, good. Well, that, when, when you set that money aside for vacation, can I tell you what that is? That's holy money. Because it's been set aside for a purpose. These right here. These are my basketball shoes. They have a purpose. One purpose, no other purpose. You'll not see me walking around the church with them on unless I'm coming in here to shoot hoops. You won't see me running on the road with them. These are set, these are holy shoes. <laughs> because they are only for basketball. And I'm really picky about my basketball shoes. That's what holiness is. Tomorrow is going to be at Monday. It's our staff Sabbath. That day is holy because it's set apart, and I work really hard not to work on Monday to do church stuff other than my basic stuff I've got to do in life. So that's it's a holy day for me. I remember years ago when Trina first got married, and um, she goes, Honey, would, would, would you just go with me to get a really nice set of dishes? We couldn't afford china, but would you just, would you just go get a, a real nice set of dishes? Uh, sure, honey, I can't, let's go. Thrill, you know, just really a thrill of my life. So we, we go and, well, you like these? Oh, those are great. You like these? Oh, superb. You know, and I liked everything because I just wanted to get out of there. Well, finally we get this, yeah, no, thanks guys. Uh, so finally we get this nice set of dishes and I never saw them again. Until about like, I don't know, must have been eight years later. We're sitting there and the boys are three and five now. And all of a sudden the boys who had somebody special over and the boys go, whoa, where did these things come from? And what does mama say? Well, those are special dishes for special people. They were holy. You want to see our holy dishes now that are set aside for special people? If you ever come over, you'll, this is what you're going to get. It's not our fine china, but this is Trina's. I, hope, I didn't tell her I was going to do this. <laughs> um, it's kind of cheap stuff. I think she got these like at the dollar or something place. But uh, this is the plates. And she puts them on these things. And this is our holy dinnerware now that is set aside for any time that we have special, 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 special people over. Did you get the idea? See, to be holy, loved ones, is to be set apart for a special purpose. And the really great thing is this, that when you become a Christ follower, you become a holy person set apart for Christ and his high purposes in your life. You belong to God. You're not just one of those old forks, hopefully. You're not one of those old dishes, if you want to be used by God, this is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. It says, in, in the context, Paul is talking about life in the body. And he talks about there are dishes that are for holy purpose, set aside for specific purposes. And there are dishes that are old and, well, dishonorable dishes. And he's really talking about, he says, if you want to be used by God, you want to be set apart to him, to be an honorable dish so that he can use you. And so many of us aren't used by God or we don't step up to be used by God because, well, it's kind of dishonorable in a lot of areas of our lives. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said in Romans 1.7, 
He said, to all of you who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul addresses this letter to the Roman church. And he says, what, you're all loved by God. You're all called saints. Well, who's the saint? Tiny handful of spiritual people. The pastoral staff, the fanatical few. No, he says, he writes to all who in Rome, if you are in Christ, if you have been set apart by Christ, guess what? You are a saint. One of the things we say around here, you're either a saint or an ain't. You know, we think that, you know, segments of the church, you know, they say, oh, Mother, you know, Saint Mother Teresa or, you know, Saint Francis or Saint whoever. Listen, that's, that's sweet and that's nice and those people are special, but honestly, they are no special than you. God says, you are a saint. Tony, Bernita, Bob, Gary, Anthony, Tri- no, um, <laughs> No, she is. Oh, just trying to get a cheap laugh. Take it easy, man. <laughs> She's the only one I can really pick on that I know won't pick back. And, um, but you see what I'm saying? Every one of you is a saint that is in Christ Jesus. Get this. This will shock you. St. Terry right here. Turn to the person next to you and introduce you as saint whoever you are. Really do it. It's true. Okay, now don't get too carried away here. Don't get too carried away. Now look at me because I'm, you, you gotta track with me here. You gotta think with me because I talk a lot about how truth and the scriptures are held in dynamic tension. Truth kind of pulls against each other because you need to know you're not a saint because you're perfect, because you never fail or because you think you're closer to God than others, or because you carry a 10-pound Bible, or because nobody ever sees you do some kind of naughty, 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 naughty thing. You are only a saint because you are chosen by Jesus Christ. You have chosen to follow him, and now you are set apart to him. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, in his opening dialogue to this very carnal church, but very gifted church, Paul again uses these words. He says, to God's church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ. That means, again, sanctified means to be set apart in Christ, that you are being set apart. It's the continuous work of God in your life. With all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, theirs and ours. He says, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and they're called to be holy. Again, that was the whole church. And if you know anything, loved ones, if you're any kind of Bible student of the Bible, you know that Corinth was the most obnoxious, sin-filled church in the Bible. But he still says to the whole church, you're saints, you are being sanctified. 
There's three parts to salvation. There's justification, just as though it never happened. Romans 5, it says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the one time happening. Then there's going to be this thing when we die and we come to Jesus Christ. And it says we're going to be glorified. We're going to become like him. But from the time you come to Jesus and to the time you die, sanctification is this ongoing thing and work in our lives. Remember, saint, you are holy. You're sanctified. All of these words come from the same word, hagios, meaning to be set apart. So, when we're sanctified in Jesus, hear me. We are already holy, but we're called to be holy. See, my money doesn't make itself holy. I set it apart. My shoes don't make themselves holy. I do when I play basketball in them, and that's the only thing I do with them. The plate that I have, it doesn't make itself holy. Trina does. She set it apart for special occasion. See, God does the work, but listen, we, while they don't have a mind of their own, we do. And we have to cooperate with the work of Christ and his spirit in our lives. We are living out Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, talks about that God has begun a good work in us. And what he has worked out in salvation, we have, what he has worked in, we have to work out. Now hear me, this is where the tension comes in. You are holy. If I, and don't raise your hands here, but, because um, you'd look really bad if you did. So, if I was to raise your hand, if I was to say, you know, raise your hands, if you're just like the holiest person in the room, and because you never sin, well, there might be some of you that would do that. I hope nobody would. But see, Jesus sees you as holy, but none of us really are at this level. Positionally, before God the Father, we are. But practically, here on this earth, very few of us are. And that's where this dynamic tension comes. And theologians call this the difference between our position up here in the heavenlies and our practice here on earth. For instance, you know, we know Bill Gates has a little bit of cash. I mean, he's worth billions. So let's imagine little Billy Jr. He's born and he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth and, you know, his diapers are made of cash. So, so, so Junior becomes a young adult, and he basically says, you know something, I'm just, I'm sick of all this money, and, 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 I, and you know, Mom and Dad, I really can't stand you. And he goes out on his own, strikes out on his own, but he gets trapped in a cycle of poverty and addiction, and he can't get out of it. And he builds some friends in his homeless state and place, and they find out after a while that this is Bill Gates, Jr., and what are they going to do? They're going to look at him and they're going to go, what in the world are you doing? You're not living the way that you could. You're living so far below your means. And see, loved ones, that's what happens with this state of holiness. That's our position. But practically, way too many Christians live at a lower level than what God calls them to live at. Because while we are holy, while if you know Jesus personally, you are holy. But guess what? We have to continually be working with him to become holy practically. And hear me. Can I just tell you something? It's going to take the rest of your life living that out. This is what really bugs me about this. Because just about the time I think I'm making some pretty good progress, I'll have this crazy wild thought. Or I'll do this kind of crazy wild thing for a pastor and I go what in the world am I doing 
Why would I even do that? Ah, it's because I'm still working out this thing called holiness, sanctification. And I'll just tell you, there's a couple times in recent months where I've just had to go to people, two people, and I just need you to forgive me because of what I did over here. And then another person, I just, I just need you to forgive me because I, I, I might have just caused a little trouble in your life, and, and I don't want to do that. But see, I don't let those things get me down. I let them drive me to the cross where I repent before Jesus and then I deal with it before other people, whoever I have to or whatever I have to do. And see, that's, that's what it means to become holy. That's what it means to become sanctified is that you become more like Jesus because you hear his speak, spirit speaking to you in these things. Eugene Peterson, who is a retired pastor, just a great author, he wrote this in his book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He said, it is not difficult for our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness and sanctification. See, loved ones, I talked to you today to remind us it's a lifelong process. It's an adventure. This is what I'm finding myself asking myself more and more all the time. Because I know I have to choose out to live what God has done in me. And this is my question that I ask more and more. Am I growing in holiness and devotion to Jesus Christ? Because I have to choose to live it out. People give up on themselves because they get so discouraged because they begin to compare themselves with others. They think somebody else is so holy. You don't know what's going on in their heart. So don't look at others. Look at Jesus. Look at his word. Because you're holy. Live it out. Live it out. And when you mess up, repent it out. Take care of it before Jesus, before others. The second thing is aim for, don't, don't, don't only aim to be hagios, to be holy. First, because uh, Peter said that be holy because God is holy. But he also said, aim for an undivided devotion. In 1 Corinthians 7.35, Paul says he wants all of us to live in a right, to live right in an undivided devotion to Christ. Undivided, full devotion. Or as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that we read earlier, he said what? Let there be complete, pure devotion. To Jesus. So let's get practical. See, I really believe, and, and you know this, that if our understanding and interpretation of the scripture can't be lived out in real life in 2013, then we probably got the wrong interpretation. 
So how do we grow in? How do we complete this undivided devotion to Jesus? How do we grow in that? Paul already noted some of the the divided devotion comes just through our life, through our marriages, through our families, which are good things, but he says that that there, there are dividing elements there. You know me, I don't believe we should ever withdraw from the world. None of us will ever be free from the normal cares and concerns and duties of this world until the day we die. Listen, I am hopefully growing in my devotion to Jesus day after day. But I still got to tell you, I still got to care for my bride. I got to look after my kids. I've got to do my job here. I got to pay my bills. There's things I just got to keep up around the house. I mean, there's so many practical things that have to be done. I don't live in a bubble. I'm like you. I live in the real world. I've had problems like you. And sometimes we pastors, we, we leave people with this faulty idea that the only way that you can really please and be devoted to God is to either become a pastor or a missionary or, a, or become a monk or a monkess, you know, or a woman where you just get away and, boy, you just spend all your life reading the Bible and praying and doing all these holy things. No, 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 no. You never see Jesus do that. Jesus would withdraw daily so that he could be with the Father, but then he would be in the trenches of real life. He'd go to wedding parties. He'd go here. He'd go there. He would do so many different things. He was at the intersections of life. He was involved in life's economy. But full devotion can and has to be expressed and experienced in the context of real life. At your job, with your family, how you schedule your life, the way you do bills. It's not just for the religious professionals, loved ones. Well, there are some that are called to be pastors, missionaries, musicians, whatever. Others of you are called. Hear me. You're called. You're set apart by your unique gifting from the, from, from the Lord God Almighty. You are set apart to be a nurse, to be a teacher, to be in law enforcement. You probably, during the break, you saw my probation officer come up and greet me. <laughs> That's his calling, to watch over Martinez and to watch over this pastor along with some of the other law enforcement people we have here. But whatever context, loved ones, We are to be daily growing in our personal devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. So how does that happen? Let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, prayerfully consider how to express your full devotion through your unique calling. What does does a full devoted follower of Jesus look like in your setting? Now, don't be offended. I'm going to name a few names here this morning, and I'll forget some, and it's not purposeful, and I couldn't name everybody, but just hang with me and don't get mad at me because you didn't maybe get named. But I was was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, someone that often gets mentioned here by people in the church and Creeksiders that end up coming here, Cheryl Middleton, she's a nurse. She loves Jesus. And she's had to figure out what does it mean to be fully devoted follower of Jesus in the Kaiser system. You know what she does? She simply loves for and cares people. Chris Kyle does it at the county hospital. What does it mean to fully, be fully devoted to Jesus? Well, you care for people. You be his hands to the people 
that bring in and need help, need medical attention. And we often hear about these people. Tony Campos, my friend, he's retired, but he's in the financial business. He loves Jesus, and he figures out a way to help people through his work that he still does. Can't tell you about all the guys that tell me whether they're a laborer, blue collar, white collar, gray collar, whatever collar. But they come and they say, Pastor, guess what? What a joy. I'm finally learning how to just kind of be my, live my faith on the job. And I love that because they're learning how to be fully devoted followers wherever they are. Deanne Giffen. Uh, Liesl Lewis and Linda Machado and Lori Fredericks and Trina May and many others here that, that I could forget. They, they're in the public school system as teachers, as aides, administrators. They love Jesus and they're figuring out how to be fully devoted followers in the education system. And the Lord knows how much we need that. There's so many moms that go to this church that stay at home and probably sometimes feel, wow, am I really adding value? Yes, you are. And so many of them are learning and growing in how to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus in their home with their kids and to show them what that means. Hear me, loved ones. I challenge you today. Every one of us needs to figure out what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus wherever he has put us, on your job, in your family, in your neighborhood because he calls us to give us us to give the best because he's given us his best secondly keep your heart fully devoted the psalmist wrote this in psalm 86:11 teach me your way o lord and i will walk in your truth give me an undivided heart that i may fear your name Lord, I, I, I just want my heart to be daily fully devoted to you, not, not divided. Re- Revelation 2, 4, John warned the church and he said this, don't lose your first love. Go back and do the things that you do. How many times do I hear people say things like, oh, pastor, I, just, I don't know about Jesus if he really is there. I don't feel him. Well, he's not a feeling. He's a God. He's a king. He's a Lord of lords. He's a savior. He's a spirit. And while there are times when we can feel him, that is never the determination whether he's really there. He is everywhere. And sometimes we may not, like I tell you all the time, and and it's interesting that that the Bible uses so many metaphors of marriage and your relationship with Christ. There are times, be honest, that you get up and you don't feel married. I haven't felt married for 20 years. You know why? Because I love my wife and she loves me and I don't need the feeling. I don't even think about being married. It's just there day by day by day. (laughs) And you're thinking, oh boy, that's a name. No, I love my wife more today than I did 30 some years ago. But I don't have to go, oh honey, do you love me today? I don't feel it. And I know she doesn't worry about it either because we live in such a way that isn't based on feeling. It's based on the truth of I love her and she loves me. And hear me, loved ones, that's the way it is with Jesus. Oh, no, now hear me. Don't ever, don't miss this. I do do things to let her know. 
It may clean up the dishes. It might put, you know, put the dishes away from the dishwasher. And whatever I do, I do things so she knows. And that's what John said when he says, return to the things that you used to do so that your love doesn't grow cold. But loved ones, don't, don't base it on a feeling. If you know Jesus, he's there. That's why you have the Holy Spirit that the Bible says is kind of like a ring that simply reminds you you're in relationship with the God, the creator of the universe. And the last thing is simply this. Keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the main thing. Jesus made this clear. He said, what? The greatest commandment is love God and love people. Be fully devoted. And it leads us to do what? Well, if we really want to be like Jesus and we're going to love him as our priority and be devoted to him and live out this thing called hagios, holiness, then we're going to begin to look for ways to love him and to love people. And whenever we love people, guess what? We're always loving him. While doing my day-to-day stuff, again, I'm working to be more cognizant of situations and circumstances where I can simply love somebody. And they may not even know that I'm doing it. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but the other day I had this crazy idea. And we've done, every one of us has probably done this, if you're a real Christian. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, you're gone. I went through McDonald's and I asked, I had like three extra bucks. And I said, hey, what's the bill on the back person? They go, oh, it's like, I don't know, I think it was like 75. No, it was a dollar or something. I think it was a coffee or something. And I go, okay, I'll pay for it. Well, that's not a big deal. But what I'm trying to be mindful of is if I want to begin to be this sanctified, set-apart person, it's not about Terry. It's about thinking about other people around me, behind me in front of me, before me. Because I want to love them like Jesus loves them. Because it's so easy, hear me, it's so easy for us to get caught up and forget the main thing. Why? Because we get caught up in things. So easy to get distracted and get divided. Mark chapter 4, 18 and 19 says this, still others... They are like seeds sown among the thorns. Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus is telling a story to his disciples and to uh, people gathered around him. And he's telling a story about a farmer who scattered seed. He's probably watching him do it. He says, hey, look at that guy over there scattering seed. And he says, you know what? Your heart is just like that ground. There's hard ground that just is totally unreceptive to the word and it's not going to take root. And then there's other seed that's rocky and then, you know, it might, get, it might sprout just a little bit and then it's going to die out. And then there's this, this weeds and this thickets. Man, the seed goes down, it starts to grow, but all of a sudden, the weeds and the thickets begin to choke it out, destroy it. And then there's the good heart, the good soil that is fruitful. But you see, sometimes, loved ones, our heart gets divided by things and we miss the most important thing about following and being devoted to Jesus. Most of you know, if you've been here for a few years, that uh, it was two years ago this past summer that Trina's, our, our home got flooded. We came back from convention and it was flooded top to bottom. 
You know what we did? We had a lot of stuff destroyed, a lot of good stuff, a lot of our favorite stuff. And we had a lot of junk destroyed. You know what we learned? There was really nothing that we went home and just cried over because it was destroyed. Nothing. And as a matter of fact, since that time, and this is not because we're so good, but we just said, we're going to simplify our life. We're going to get rid of stuff. We're going to scale down. And we're, we're going to simplify because we don't want things to ever become the thing that detracts or distracts us from being fully devoted to Jesus Christ. As I've gone through and been reading and studying and thinking about this for probably over a month now, there's a central life question that I'm asking more and more. Hear me. Is there anything that I wouldn't give up to keep me from having an undivided heart for Jesus and his church? You know what I found out? There's not. And I'm talking aside from my family. My wife. There's nothing I wouldn't give up to make sure that I am separated to God and I'm living for him. Terry, you're not going to golf anymore. Are you kidding me? Okay. Take my clubs. Guess what, TR? You're not going to play basketball anymore. Okay. I mean, you know, those are silly things. They're important to me. But what, ask yourself this, loved ones. Is there something in your life that you wouldn't give up to follow Jesus and to be fully devoted for him? Because if you're not, guess what? You're the 95%. And I'm learning more and more Jesus is all or nothing. It's a process to get there but he wants an undivided, totally devoted heart. And the main thing in your life and the main thing in my life is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come today and we're gonna, we're gonna do this thing called baptism. And probably as much as anything, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful declaration of a portion of devotion to you. And I pray that today, Lord, that as we watch them, as we sing and worship over them and around them and celebrate their, well, their step of devotion, that, Lord, we would see it as that. It's simply a, an outward statement of an inward work that you have done in us and through us. It represents that we're going in the waters being buried with you and then rising to new cleansed life with you. Lord, let us never forget the power of this simple little humbling, but expression of devotion to you. So we give you thanks for that.